This week's guest is Coach Briar McNanny. Briar is the head coach of the Columbia Valley Rockies in the KIJHL. I first met Briar at Hockey BC's HP1 seminar in Kamloops and quickly learnt that Briar is an enthusiastic coach who is a pleasure to be around. He has worked his way up to the head coach position through tireless work as an assistant coach over the past three seasons and is showing a ton of promise to keep moving up the coaching ranks. Please welcome Briar McNanny. Well, I do want to chat about, um, particularly like you're another one of these young coaches. I, I've talking to, spoken yeah. to a few of them lately. Um, transitioning from your playing career to your coaching career, was coaching something you'd always aspired to or was something that kind of you turned to just once your playing days were over? Yeah, I think basically growing up, um, I kind of knew all along I wanted to stay in the game and my whole goal was to be in the NHL. It didn't matter if it was going to be a player or coach or anything like that. If I needed to drive to Zamboni, I would have done it. And then um, basically as soon as I was done my junior career, um, I wasn't the hardest working kid at the time, you know, fitness levels wise. So um, after that was done, um, I actually lost the love of the game a little bit. And out of necessity, my brother, um, he was playing midget house at the time, which is basically 14 to 16 year olds and recreational, but they didn't have a coach for the, for the time being, for the rest of the year. They, they were basically hockey dads who showed up at the rink and they couldn't basically run a whole week's worth of practices. So they asked me, I stepped up and immediately fell in love with it again. And uh, here we are. Um, I'm excited about the journey from the past and in the future. That's awesome, man. Kind of, yeah. kind of fell back into it. So when yeah. do you think back, um, like what's your first memory that you have of being coached and do any of those memories, good or bad influence the way you coach your players now? Yeah. So my first time being coached, uh, because I was, when I was really young, a child, I was better in the age group I was at. I was uh, pretty physically overdeveloped at the time. So I got to play with older players and the first time I was ever coached, it was basically a sit down moment with my coach. And he said, it doesn't matter how you play. The reason that you're here, you'll do great. And worst comes to worst by the end of the year, you'll have caught up to all these guys and you'll have the experience that no one else has. So that sort of influenced me, um, especially with younger players at the junior level to help them out that way. Um, everyone works hard they'll all end up at the same place um, so that was kind of my experience yeah that's great and that's so important those kind of well, I think those sit down meetings like those one on ones oh yeah is that something oh, you do yeah. a lot with your guys now quite a bit yeah they're again these kids are 16 to 20 year olds that I coach junior hockey a couple of them are in high school a few of them have jobs and the other ones they're training every single day along with the group so there's a lot, a lot of talks, especially with the younger guys, trying to get their hormones straight, make sure they're feeling good, and you know they can hang out with the older guys and the 20-year-olds, keeping them motivated to try and play college. Yeah, nice. 
So as a young coach working in junior at the junior level, do you think that works in your favor or, or maybe works against you because you're not far removed from the players, right? Yeah, it's, it's a bit of both. Um, the negative side, I would say, comes from other scouts, coaches, staff members, and parents. Uh, they just see a young guy. They don't see the up-and-comer who spends hours every single day and every single week trying to better myself and the team. Um, the good side of it is that I can relate to the players. They're pretty close to the same age group I am. I'm 27 right now, so I know everything they've gone through. I know what it takes to help make that athlete better, and I know the right buttons to push. Um, yeah, that's, it's really easy as a younger coach, so long as there's you know, a little bit of difference in age. It's not like you know any of the guys on the team. But it's harder, definitely, with uh, staff members all around the leagues. Did it feel strange for you at first um, working with those guys? Because you're 27 now, but you would have been, you know, you've been with that organization for, I think, four years now, right? So yeah. you would have been much closer at the start. Um, was that ever, ever weird? A little bit at the start, but I was, fortunate, I was fortunate enough that I didn't know any of the players on the team personally. Um, a couple of the guys I played with, their little cousins or little brothers were on the team. So that was, uh, that was a bit different, you know, getting to yell at my old teammates' brothers. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. So, nice. yeah, it was a little weird. Um, I like to joke around with them sometimes and um, you try and make yourself feel a little older. So I joke around with the guys sometimes and say, hey, can you download apps on my phone? Can you get me Facebook and help me set up? So they think you're a little more agent, older than you are. So uh, I think that helped uh, push the age gap a little bit too and them realize that they're not the same age and going through the same troubles there. That's great. Take us inside um, junior hockey a little bit as an assistant coach. So your previous role, what are the day-to-day -day responsibilities for, for that role? Okay, so because we're more of a small market uh, junior team, there's, there's no equipment trainers, things like that. So you're actually doing laundry uh, partway through the day and the hockey's the fun stuff. Um, as an assistant coach, I was luckily enough that I was able to gradually over the years run my own practices, my own drills. Um, I was given quite a bit of a leash to coach the kids. Um, early on, it's not so much that way. The biggest thing you can do as an assistant coach is stay as positive as possible. Um, head coaches go. Um, when they say something, uh, you have to back them up 100%. There was a good quote that I actually learned uh, from, a, from an older coach, and he said, if the head coach says that the sky is green, you better be telling every single player that the sky is green too. You don't tell them it's blue. So you're doing everything you can to help out the head coach every day, whether it's laundry, you're making phone calls, you're going out and you're doing fundraising, volunteering, any, anything like that you can do to help out everyone around the rink you're doing. It is a full-time job and you're uh, pretty busy 24 hours a day. That's, that is a lot. And then really hands on. Um, it oh, must yeah. make you probably a bit more invested, right? Like when you work on a team, when you have the luxury of just coaching, 
um, you're really wrapped up into the performance of the team and wins and yeah. losses. But when you're doing laundry and you're really kind of <laughs> lugging the mail, it must it must yeah. give you a feeling of satisfaction that it's it's truly your program. Oh yeah, ex- exactly. And first first year, I definitely forgot to do the laundry a few times. So uh, because your uh, coaching staff is your brothers, um, you definitely get ragged on a little bit. Um, I will admit that as soon as they watch this. So uh, sorry, Wade. Sorry, Chris. Sorry, Brett. Um, I will say, though, that over the years, you definitely become proud of it. Um, Like you can see the wall behind me. This actually used to be green. Uh, We put a fresh paint job around the dressing room and we have a player's lounge now that the kids can hang out and really love the rink a little bit more. So those are the things you take pride in every single day. That's great. The, like, I want to go back a little bit on, on that role between the assistant coach and the head coach. So, so now obviously you enter your role as head coach, but as an assistant coach, what do you think is an important quality to have to truly support the head coach? Like that sky analogy was excellent. And I'm sure we've either, we've all either worked poorly as an assistant coach or really well or had someone work poorly or really well and it can really make or break the dynamic of a team so I guess what qualities best support a head coach from an assistant coach being pretty open and expanding your thoughts and the areas that you think you excel at learning what you don't excel at anything the coach says like you go Um, I was lucky enough where I'm a guy who voices my opinion, Uh, whether it's right or wrong, I'd like to learn. Um, I think they respected that here because the way I see it is that if you have two people on both sides of the fence, then you know that there's a conversation to be had. And if you have both people on the same side of the fence, you know you have something there and that's probably the right decision. So when you're in the coach's room away from all the players, you're having her out, you're making decisions. Obviously, the head coach is the number one guy. He gets final call. But you're challenging each other every single day to get better. Uh, that's important. And, and those challenges can sometimes seem argumentative, right? But oh yeah, like you said, it's so important <laughs> um, to, to happen. I remember being an assistant coach, and one thing I really learned was and really developed was to be able to explain why because you have to right this for the head coach to take on board you really have to sell your position and explain why and at the time i remember that being really frustrating and and at times (laughs) (laughs) got into it a little bit a bit angry but looking back i really take that for that's huge experience right now because it makes you a better coach right exactly yeah you're you're bang on (laughs) i can't even add more to that you're bang on so you made the, the jump now from assistant coach to head coach with the same organization. From this experience, what advice can you give to other assistant coaches out there looking to make the same move? Because I'm sure there's a ton of them. Yep. Work your bag off and work harder than anyone else. I had the uh, challenge of having an NHL, uh, ex-NHL player. So I had to really earn the respect and work as hard to not only match and just you have to work your bag off first and foremost do anything that anyone says do your absolute best in any any aspect of 
like again from doing laundry even though i screwed up there quite a few times to uh like making meals practices making the kids feel good helping out with your billet situation uh, i like to take roughly um 20 minutes to half an hour minimum per day to work on myself as a coach and as a person even throughout this whole covid situation i'm still sitting in my office every single day trying to learn and so what does that learning look like okay so i i've started to really take on analytics um, as a big okay. part of uh, my hockey side of the game and you'll you'll realize uh, junior hockey and other things like that we don't have really the resources to be able to get too many nutritionists and things like that so i started to look at sleeping habits nutrition um, workout times when you're most your most cognitive part of the day so pretty well everything that you can think of because kids like to sleep on buses before games they like to stay up playing video games late at night how you can uh, best manage those situations and still get the best out of your players that's man that's awesome and that's so key and i think <laughs> coaches that are continuously learning like success yeah. is a moving target um yeah. it's a common thread amongst successful coaches oh, i believe for sure Ex exactly and there was a good quote from mike mike babcock and he said you can't ask your players to get better over the summer if you're not doing the same thing so that's exactly what i'm trying to do now you're a head coach with the same group of players essentially that you were an assistant coach for apart from the graduating class mm -hmm. How will you approach the upcoming season and what will be different from Briar, the assistant coach? <laughs> um, so first thing with coaching is you have to be yourself. And I'm, I'm not really the uh, rough and tough kind of old school type yelling guy, guys, at kids. So I like, we spend basically six to seven months out of the year with each other it's hard to put on an act and be a jerk for <laughs> all that time. So I'm really positive and obviously being younger, um, it helps me as a coach. So you have to throw the hammer down at times, uh, be a little more selective, but I already have relationships with all these players and they can now help me as well with the younger guys coming in. So that it's being yourself is such a big part of coaching. Totally is. In your time so far, thinking back, what's one of your biggest learning moments as a coach? Well, I have two basically. So uh, my, my president, respect the guy, great guy. He said, whenever you're around people and whenever you're around the kids, you're on stage, okay? You can blow off steam and be off stage when you're in the coach's office, when you're at home. Anything you say and every little look at, look, um, it could change a player's opinion, not only of you, about himself, about his role on the team. And even when you're out in the community, um, big learning experience I had, even though it's a small, smaller town, is I ended up going to the gas station one time and I had the uh, woman who was the clerk trying to tell me how to run a power play. So you can, uh, you can only imagine um, you know, having to put on the uh, happy face and taking every suggestion. Um, we do think about this 24 hours a day. So everything runs across your mind. Um, you appreciate, though, that people are so invested in what you do 
and you're 24 hours, you're on the clock. That's, that's awesome. The clerk, the clerk, we've all had that. And yeah. sometimes it's, oh, yeah. it's, I always think that's a skill as a coach is, is <laughs> being invested in listening to conversations yeah. that you really don't want to be invested or, or listening to, but yeah. it's something you have to do. And I find uh, that really impressive for people that can dial in and give mm-hmm. those people the, I'll say those people, the, the, the time, the of time day. of day. Yeah, um, because like you said, it's important, and and the clerk may leave that conversation being like, "Man, Briar is a great coach. He listened, and and yeah, and it just gives them a, a better thought of the whole program, really." For sure, for sure. No one likes a jerk, and it's not hard to be a good person and listen for five minutes. Um, whether it's a kid, whether it's an adult coming up to you, um, not only can you ruin the reputation of yourself but the entire organization just with one wrong thing you say. So that was probably the biggest learning moment I ever had was when my president told me that you're always on stage. I love that. Yeah. Look, in the, in the KIJHL, which is your league, yep. recruitment is key. Um, yeah. What strategies do you have to attract quality players and quality, quality people to your organization? Well, you're, you have to be a bit of a salesman, but at the same time, you can't sell something that you don't have. Um, here in Columbia Valley, we're extremely proud of our program. We run it as a mixture between uh, collegiate and a junior A style. And you're basically working from nine till five every single day to better yourself, to better the club, um, to put a good image in the community. So everyone has a little piece of the pie. We make sure that that's known. Um, usually we'd like to meet up with some families that we really like. We'll have little chats with them and it's been different this year. So I've had a few zoom meetings. Hopefully none of the guys in our division, uh, you know, look at this video, you know, but it's building relationships quite a lot. And with the parents, it's a big thing too, because they're at home, they're talking to the kid every single day. And ultimately the kid has to make the decision, but they're a big influence. So getting to know everyone, see how the the uh, apple fire, yeah, the uh, apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So big relationships that way. Yeah, so key, particularly mm-hmm. with the parents there. I find to one to sway the yeah. decision, hopefully, yeah. but two to see what you're getting from the player, right? Because, like you said, exactly, um, the players are often often a a pretty direct reflection of the parents sure. or their family environment. Yeah. Huge amount of scouting. <laughs> the amount of time this year that I've watched video on kids. Um, a couple of the leagues we scout, there's only one team in the league who will have their parents um, work a camera. So this one team that we've watched, I won't name it. You could basically tell when a kid sneezes on the bench and I could tell you what game just because I'm watching, <laughs> watching that team so much and others. So every kid just know that you have to be on every single day. Don't be lazy because we will see it yeah. and we will call you out on it. And that's a big part of recruiting as well. Yeah. Someone's always watching. Oh yeah. Um, I want to get your thoughts about practice. Um, yes. There's a lot of different opinions out there. Different teams run it, run it a different way, but 
What are your thoughts on how a practice should be structured and what does an optimal junior hockey practice look like in your eyes? Well, we're fortunate quite a bit that we're, we're able to have five practices a week. So the way we run it, um, basically we'll pre-scout and we'll scout our last weekend. So Mondays are always our compete days. Um, that's big for us because the kids just blew off some steam from the weekend and we need to set the tone. And the rest of the week, um, for part of the practice, um, we'll set drills aside for what we want to do uh, for the upcoming weekend and how we could touch up from our systems from the previous weekend. The optimal practice for me, if I didn't have to do any scouting work, would be to get guys into a bunch of flow drills off the bat, get the heart rate going, make sure there's some passing in there, but gradually build up your passing. You can't do drills off the bat where you're making 10 passes in a row if kids haven't even stick handled for the first 10 minutes. So basically you're getting them into the system. You're not backdoor tap-ins, your goaltender. You're making sure that they're, they're some of your best players of practice along with your captain. And from there, we do a lot of uh, small area games, um, whether it be defensive zone coverage, ozone play, three on three, things like that. We do a lot of basically you throw a few guys in a circle, move the nets real close, and you're learning how to play with a lot of guys around you. Over half of the passes in hockey, uh, you have to slip through guys. You have to make a saucer pass unless you're in a systematic um, time of the game. and obviously very important for guys to not learn how to not not only learn how to defend those but be able to play offense through those as well you find a lot of your skill development time comes through small area games yeah yeah quite a bit so the passing obviously is a big mm -hmm. one learning how to defend angling uh, physical play when guys are around you stick positioning cutting the hands is a big one if you're able to set up your drills in a certain way um, where you're gaining body position. There's everything that goes into hockey um, outside of taking slap shots from the blue line uh, you've got in small area games. And do you find with your games, are you, are you ever stopping them to do much teaching or does all of the teaching happen? Sorry to the guys who are waiting. Um, so what we'll do is we'll do a lot of the teaching beforehand. Uh, we okay. try as little as we can to uh, stop and do chalk talk, um, basically with the board on the glass, mm -hmm. because that's just a waste of time, right? You're only given X amount of hours and uh, minutes on the ice. You need to use every single second of that uh, just to get better. There's teams in your league who are making the same amount of passes in a practice, taking the same amount of shots. For the amount of time you're sitting on a board, um, you're making less passes, you're taking less shots, you're working on less things, and other teams are getting the advantage over you. Um, we'll also stop practices sometimes to, you know, yell at some guys and uh, make them wake up, especially if they're not competing, executing, things like that. It's never too often, though, and usually we try and make it positively driven. So kids, kids at all levels do sometimes need the little uh, kick in the backside, so... Yeah, we yeah. try and keep that at a minimal, but basically just get them back on page. And that's the only times we'll really talk outside of assistant coaches, especially uh, going and teaching skills um, between the drills with players. Right. 
So when you when it comes to if you, your practices practices sound very up tempo and go go go, yeah. Oh, um, yeah, and not a lot of teaching as far as chalk talk. Do you mm-hmm. find if you're going to implement a new team tactic um, or system or refine one, do you find that that's mainly done through video or whiteboard in the room as opposed to directly on the ice at practice? A little bit. Uh, we found a lot of success here that what we do at the start of every main camp is we show them our little playbook that we make. Um, we, we've scouted all of our players so much and we've adapted the way that we want to play to basically our group of players. So we'll hand them that we'll show them on video. We'll take clips in the past and, and show them what it looks like done perfectly. So that is our main goal. Um, we'll go over it on the whiteboard and we'll also go over it on the ice. So there's no excuse. <laughs> That's every little bit in the book. Um, oh, yeah, and we'll have them come up uh, probably once a week or every two weeks so they can draw it out for us. So there's every single <laughs> way possible that that kid is learning. And if they're not learning, they're not paying attention, and that's on them. That's, that's so good, and it's so <laughs> consistent, I guess, with coaches these days that, that – a lot of the teaching is done through video and on the whiteboard. And I think it's important yep. for kids to know like young kids that that is something that they have to get their head around because, you know, yep. we've all worked with those kids that just can't see it on a whiteboard um, yep. video. Oh, yeah. Pretty much everyone can see because everyone watches yep. hockey and can see what's going on. So that's a good yep. tool, but um, some, some players struggle with that. So that's a skill they need to develop as well so that they can become oh, yeah. coachable. Exactly. Um, kids, most kids want to be coached, uh, whether they know it or not. Not every kid actually learns and listens the same way. So mm-hmm. you give every possible idea from them writing it, us writing it on a whiteboard, video, having them go out and do it. Nothing's ever going to be perfect. So even sometimes we'll tape our practices when we do team tactical stuff and run our systems. And we'll watch that on video the next day and show them, hey, this is what you were seeing. This is what you weren't seeing nothing's perfect but this is the adjustment you could have made and you try and help the kids grow their hockey iq and let them think a little more that yeah i'm so glad you brought that up and i I love that you do that i think it's so important to um tape practices uh the players one then you can teach them like you said you're not taking them to the whiteboard or blowing down practice you can do that teaching off the ice where you're not wasting any ice and two i think it players want to see themselves um, yes, I know I've worked with the Wee team where I introduced video and it's the first time they had been videoed and it probably yep. took three or four sessions just to get it out of their system that they're seeing themselves on video. How do I, <laughs> how, oh, that's what I look like in my helmet and skating around and, and they weren't really taking much in, but we had to get that out of their system before they could really learn it. Yep. So once players can see themselves on video and themselves doing it, mm-hmm. I think it can empower a lot of players. So that's exactly. awesome that you do that. Great advice yeah. from coach. Especially them uh, watching how long a shifts they take and their turnovers. <laughs> every, every kid and every parent forgets those ones, but they remember every time they try and dangle <laughs> a guy. Oh, it's frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Look, can you share any new team tactics or trends that you've seen introduced to the junior hockey level in recent years? So without trying to give too much away is we've really, um, I guess, 
gone the war gone the way of small area games whether it be d zone o zone uh, constant movement and constant ability to gain the puck back so defensively we'll overload our side because in the years past uh, sometimes we'll have some guys who can physically dominate where you don't need to have so many guys in the pile and we're I guess last season we had a smaller team who wasn't quite as physical so we knew that if we were gonna be able to strip pucks and do things like that um, we're gonna need an extra guy in the battle or we'll need a second wave where guys can come in and it doesn't matter if you're a top world-class defenseman or if you're um, a peewee defenseman um, a stick is a stick, a stick is a stick. It's still an obstacle that you have to get around. And so long as it's positioned fine, uh, you're going to find success that way. So a lot of overload type stuff defensively. Um, and then trying to break out through the middle of the ice. It's the most dangerous. If you look at any analytic, they'll tell you if you can get, get to the middle, you can get zone carries that way. You'll find success. And offensively, movement, movement, movement because a lot of teams um, haven't yet switched to more updated styles. And a lot of guys get confused. You can work the puck around where you can get defensemen high, wingers low. Usually wingers are some of the more le or less defensively skilled players. Um, so you try and get them involved as much as you can and you'll find success that way. Uh, that's two great points there. I find it interesting though with your overload, how you find it's you found it suited your team when you had smaller, maybe less physical guys. I know in the past, yeah. um, the overload with teams that I've seen tends to be big, mean, kind of crunching guys. <laughs> but it makes it makes yeah. sense that if you don't have that size yeah. to send more players in because two little guys yeah. can be more physical than perhaps <laughs> one big guy. So that's that's yeah. an interesting point. Yeah. So yeah. So what we'll do usually is we'll have our our D-men and our centermen are basically D1, D2, and D3. So they're all on the exact same page. We'll send two guys into a battle, so long as there's two guys. And we'll always have a second wave. So you'll be five to six feet back. If there's a pin, you're fishing for the puck and you're starting the breakout, whether it's defenseman or a centerman. And we like to send three to four guys um, at a single time. So whoever's not physically pinning a guy on the boards you're getting up ice as quick as possible because usually you'll have two or three of their guys down low and you should be in an odd man rush every single time yeah that's that's great and i think yeah. particularly on like what size rink do you have there is it is it nhl just or smaller? regular regular that's size? smaller yeah. yeah okay i think, I think we're probably five feet wider than you guys okay yeah because that's uh that's important too. If it's a small rink and you can just go and suffocate teams and really yep. the only way to me that an overload can get broken is if you're not connected and, and you're yep. not working together to go yep. or you just get beat with tremendous skill, which is often yep. hard to come by, <laughs> in, in, particularly in junior hockey. Yeah, exactly. There's not many Patrick Canes or Sidney Crosby's out there. So yeah. uh, we're pretty fortunate that way. What's your favorite team tactic that you like to implement in your team? Like going back from all your teams, roster permitted, of course, but what's one that you really enjoy to, to roll out? 
the defensive zone coverage is one thing. Um, another thing offensively we like to do is you get your D-men involved. So you're almost in a one-three-one five-on-five, and your D-men. Um, I heard a good uh, quote: "Is your D-men's feet are swimming all the time? You're always moving." I thought that was a good one. Uh, USA Hockey uses that. Um, so getting your D-man involved as much as possible because so many kids grow up with only having one or two forwards down low in the zone, an F3 high kind of thing. Um, so if you can get them out of the out of the normal, then you're creating offense that way and you're giving freedom to the guys uh, to do their thing offensively. Every, everybody wants points. That's how you get looked at by scouts for the most part. So everyone's involved, screws up the other team. And you're, you're learning how to play um, at a higher, higher IQ because there's so much more going on. And the way we practice with the small area games, you now have one extra guy of support. So that's one thing I really like to do is tell guys to get moving. Do not be a slave to the position. If we have a forward coming back, because we harp a lot on back checking, we call it tracking and reloading. Um, that's, the first guy back, you're taking the puck. Next guy, you're looking for the second while putting deep. But, yeah, getting our defensemen moving in the zone is a big thing. So with that, um, I, I like that. With a lot of movement, a lot of confusion, and a lot of green lights for players too, do you oh, yeah. see hockey going, like getting to the point where there's it's positionless, like there's no forwards in D, it's just units of fire? Yeah, yeah I, I do. Um, I don't know if you'll see specific players um, switch or you'll see the next five guys out of the gate but if you look at the Russian five that were in Detroit it was basically the same thing the Red Army if you start to look at the Swedes and the way they play um, it's basically positionless um, as is you look at Errol, Eric Carlson he's always deep in the zone if you watch Tampa Bay even their bottom number six defensemen, sometimes they're in front of the net screening or they're the backdoor guy. Victor Hedman's one of the best defensemen in the league at finding lanes offensively and being able, being able to get open for pucks as well. And obviously he has some finish and that's why he's considered one of the top defensemen in the league, if not the best defenseman. Yeah. And that's what everyone wants to be, right? Like, yeah, I th think the day, yeah sorry, players, they want to get up ice. They want to touch the puck. They want to influence yep. the game offensively. And I think the days of a real stay-at-home D <laughs> are probably numbered. Not to say that defending is not important and guys that can specialize yep. in that. But I think if you, you don't want to limit your players to the blue line anymore. I remember growing up, you as yep. a D, you get to the blue line, you hit the brakes. because <laughs> Stop. You, you know, yeah, stop. The game stops <laughs> there, essentially. Whereas now, yep. it's, uh, it's 200 feet. Exactly. Is. Exactly. And if players are ever in trouble, the forwards, all you have to do is uh, do a safety rim, we call it, where you get the puck and you throw it basically to the far hash marks. And now your defenseman is working off a reset. And now you have another guy um, who's down low in the zone and you can shift from there. So your defenseman can be pretty active and be pretty useful um, as opposed to just sitting on a blue line and letting three forwards do their work. I think coaches forget often that you have five guys usually pretty tight in the defensive zone and you only have three forwards really working um, from the top of the circles down. Mm. So to get through four to five guys is pretty tough for them. So if you can add one extra wrinkle um, in their armor, then why not?
you work on two on ones and three on ones and three on twos, probably most 99% of coaches that's two thirds of your practice has that. And whether that's due to people not building practices properly, not learning to grow and watch the game. Um, that's what most people do. So most defensemen nowadays, especially at the junior level should know how to play a two on one. And yeah. So why not create a little offense in the zone? It's fun for everyone. Totally. Totally. And that's, mm -hmm. that's great advice. Um, a few quick hitters to finish your favorite memory as a coach today. Um, my first year, um, basically we went into playoffs against a team who was, um, should have probably been at the championships. Um, but we were pretty big underdogs. I think we lost eight, one, our first game or something. They had three of the league's top five scorers or something like that. We win the next game. We win the next one and we end up finally winning the series and, that was our first series win in probably six or seven years in the playoffs. Yeah. So me and the rest of the coaches, we're all in a bear hug or oh, trainer as well. We're jumping up and down the entire time. Yeah. That was, that was a special moment. And you have a thousand people in the stands who are uh, cheering the kids' names and things like that. It was electric. You could feel um, the back of the uh, arena was shaking with that much noise, it was incredible. That's awesome, that's a great yeah. moment. Um, <laughs> your most deflating memory as a coach? Every time I've had to cut a player, especially the good ones who work hard, it's the worst part of the job. I've had to cut kids that I've coached for a couple of years before. Um, it is so disheartening, especially when you build relationships with kids and their families. Um, I've had parents come up to me and give the old head shake and, you know, it's, it's hard, especially when you like the kid. I wish some kids who are bad hockey players were uh, real jerks and cancers on the team. It's not always that way. Um, you always try and recruit good kids, but every single time you have to do that, especially if they're hard worker, um, it's really deflating. Uh, that would be tough. Um, no one oh, yeah. wants to do that, but it's you know, part of the, part of the job, right? Oh yeah. Um, if we were to record you behind the bench, what is a phrase or go-to line that we would be hearing from you regularly? <laughs> so I actually uh, ended up asking my players a, like, a question like this. Uh, we do exit interviews and things like that. I want to get better. So every single kid um, basically replied with anything that's positive. So when you take a player to the side, um, I'm basically telling them that they're the best player in the world. They just made a mistake. Move on from it. Don't worry. Um, because I'm such a young guy, um, I can still relate to them. And you don't have to be really hard on these kids all the time. It's a different gen generation. But, yeah, that's the biggest thing. Um, you'll hear me screaming a lot, especially in the middle of the season on the bench, that drills we've done that week, things like that, that have translated into games. Um, it keeps, keeps the kids realizing, Hey, this is what we do. So you'll, <laughs> every drill we do leading up to that, that week, they're getting yelled at. So the kids don't think that it's just a grind and that you actually care and you actually know what you're doing. I like that. It's excellent. Yeah. And look, my last one kind yeah. of a, a fill in the blank in, in 10 years, you will see more of, what in hockey? 
Uh, well, hopefully me. I don't want to get fired, so uh, fingers crossed. Um, you're going to see um, a lot of plays up the middle where rink size really isn't going to matter. Um, the most important part of the ice is through the middle. Out wide, really, you're in the trenches. People, the bigger the ice, obviously, they won't commit as many guys and things like that. So I, I believe plays up the middle of the ice um, is going to be the future. Excellent. Well, that's awesome, Brian. I really appreciate you taking the time no with us this morning. Um, there's some great insight there, particularly for young coaches at, at the junior level. Um, yeah. you're, you're kind of a tough time for you to be starting your head coaching career in junior <laughs> hockey with the whole yeah. COVID thing. But yeah. um, hopefully it's all back up and going like normal before we know it. And we wish you all the best um, Thank you. with your team and then hopefully to springboard on to to other junior hockey uh, or wherever you want to go. So I really appreciate your time today. No, no problem. Thank you very much. I really appreciate doing this and uh, kids, anyone listening, this guy knows his stuff. So uh, listen to every word he says.